This is Artistic Intelligence, where we explore the intersection of art, sustainability, and technology. This show is brought to you in partnership with the United Nations ITU AI for Good, Changing the Story podcast, and State. Now let's join your co-hosts, Neil Sahoda and Michael Ashley. Welcome to another episode of Artistic Intelligence. We have a phenomenal guest today. Puthathaputur Chattopare is an Indian-born media artist, research, and writer. He produces works for large-scale installation and live performance, addressing contemporary issues of climate crisis, human intervention in the environment and ecology, urbanity, migration, race, and decolonization. He's received numerous fellowships, residencies, and international awards. He holds a PhD in artistic research and an MA in new media. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to have you here with us today. So could you tell us the story of you and tell us the story of your art? Um, It's a long story, but to cut it short, um, I'm working with sound for the last 12 years. Sound as a primary medium, but I also work with visuals which are accompaniment to the sound experience. I also work with text. I write a lot. And um, I was trained, uh, to give a little bit of background, I was trained in sound in the National Film School of India and then moved to Europe to study new media. And then I moved on to study um, for my PhD in Copenhagen University and then Leiden University where I finished, I defended my PhD uh, in artistic research and sound studies in 2017. And then I, I completed a postdoctoral position at the American University of Beirut last year. Wow, um, that, that, that's fantastic. I know that we were, we were chatting about your work earlier and you got a couple of very fascinating projects. You know, we'd love to hear more about your work and what's on the horizon here. Yeah, um, I just started to work with AI and machine learning um, from a personal interest. Um, If I give you a little background, it will be perhaps a bit clearer that in 2015 and 16, I was was, uh, at an artist-in-residence program at the Kunst University Graz. It's a very well-known university. They have a center called IEM, Institute of Electronic Music and Acoustics. And a number of super collider uh, PD maestros are sitting there as a researcher associated with the institution. So I was there. So I was kind of initiated to work with uh, generative systems. So 2015 to 16, and then 17, 18, I developed a work called Exile and Other Syndromes, which was a generative uh, visual and uh, sound, multi-channel sound installation. From that project, I somehow got interested to work with generative systems and then as a logical conclusion to AI and machine learning. And uh, that, is, that is the beginning, 15, 16, 17. That is the time I was initiated into this realm. That's wonderful. So when you say this realm, can you describe for our listeners who aren't aware of your work, what what it is that you're involved in? I'm involved with sound sculptures, uh, primarily sound installations and uh, sound performances, which are 
um, site responsive and often self-regulating. So the self-regulating um, aspect of the works are something I would like to underscore because those are the aspects which are uh, enriched by artificial intelligence because I often work with ML machine learning codes which are uh, sensitive listeners and, and they can take decisions. So I create some sort of uh, auditory situations which are fertile and evolving, which can re regulate themselves. This is a primary aspect of my work with AI. That's my, what is called real milieu. That's fascinating. Uh, you said sound sculpture, so I've never heard that term before. Can you describe what that means? <laughs> uh, sound sculptures are um, sound objects, but dispersed in space in a particular, let's say, a museum space or a gallery space, uh, occupying a certain amount of space in that gallery venue location. The sound, it, it's difficult to contain sound within a frame. So uh, it is always an expanded object. So as an expanded object, a sound sculpture can have, uh, can occupy the gallery space and outside of the gallery space because, because sound always spills over. So a sound sculpture for me is uh, something which is occupying a space, but often going above, beyond the space container. So in visually speaking, uh, that can be uh, the video recordings that I'll send you, will, that will make you more um, maybe aware how sound sculptures can be defined in different ways. But uh, sound objects, sound producing objects, they are, um, they are installed in a space and that space changes, transforms uh, through this intervention, sonic intervention. Oh, that's fascinating. Maybe you could share like one of your projects. Like I remember you were talking about one of your sound sculptures and I remember right, it translates to resonance. Maybe you can share with the audience a little bit more about that, that, that piece. Right. Uh, uh, how to uh, share a video here? I, I, I don't know that how to do that well, but maybe you could just describe it right because i remember you were talking about the you're using the sensors and the number of bells that you had and you know yes the, of course yeah so uh to begin with before i go to the tony project i'll just uh introduce another project which i worked into in 2019 called machine poetry and machine poetry was installed in helsinki it was a generative installation with sounds uh, installed in a gallery called Akusmata in Helsinki. And uh, those sounds uh, were generating textual imageries, live visuals, generative visuals, uh, which are drawing sounds from the environment itself. So when the ambient sound uh, environment was loud enough, then the text generation was much more intense. And when there is a ambient sound was lower in, in parameters such as certain text, uh, texture, volume, and mass, then the text generation was uh, a bit lower. So based on different parameters, uh, set parameters, generative visuals were uh, installed in the, in the exhibition. 
So that is the time I was initiated into uh, working with generative system and machine learning. And then I started working with Tony project, which is part of my postdoc, Connecting Resonances. Connecting Resonances is a project that uh, joins the global south and global north, uh, moder modernity, Western modernity and tradition and ritualistic aspect of sound. Because uh, I argue that sound recording as a technology, it was a, a Western in, in, in imperial intervention into the sound culture that global south had, like India, for one of the examples, where um, there is a, a temporal and uh, perspective-less uh, experience of sound. So I take that ritualistic element of sound, such as temple bells, and put it into an automated environment and finding out how these two worlds can coalesce. Then these two worlds can have a dialogue, which is Western modernity and its technological realm and the ritualistic aspect of sound. So uh, in Dhoni installation, which I developed with Google um, Arts and Culture, they have an AMI program, uh, Artist and Machine Learning. Um, I developed a system where those bells can be actuated using robotic arms, and those robotic arms can be uh, activated by an ML code. And that ML code is also a sensor listener to the situation wherein uh, anybody who is visiting, the exhibition visitors, they can activate the bells. Their footsteps, their presence, their bodily sounds, their like, like this uh, tapping, everything will have an effect on the system. And the system will regulate itself, uh, taking the sound as those sounds, incidental sounds made during the exhibition and also individual activation of the bell. For example, a, 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 ch a child can come and touch one bell and maybe in two hands, two bells. So bells are activated. So sounds are generated through this activation. So the system will regulate itself by moving, by moving the robotic arms. So Ritual sounds such as temple bells, which are used only in temples in, in the, let's say, remote areas in India for worshipping purposes, they are completely transformed into a like post-human, post-technological realm within which they are re-listened, redefined, and have a dialogue with the, the artificial intelligence and machine learning induced world, which is automation. That's so cool. <laughs> so I was thinking the same thing. Um, it, it reminds me in some ways of a Hegelian dialectic where you have the old and the new, and then you have something that's a combination. So uh, of the two, you have an emergent phenomenon. So what is it that you wish to evoke by having this? You know, you're talking about um, the ritualistic uh, interpretations of the music, things that have been, uh, I would assume, generation, generationally with the South, and then this new uh, this new technology, and now something wonderful is being birthed that's never uh, occurred before. What is it that you wish to share with the world? What is what is it that you're trying to say through this? A uh, few things. One is the idea of intersubjectivity. Intersubjectivity, uh, like nature and nature and culture, uh, through the development of Western modernity, nature and culture are 
often kept separate, like nature, landscape. Landscape painting is outside of the human realm. So anthropogenic realm is something insular and nature is outside of it. And through this division, uh, nature has been often exploited because this is an entry point to understand that nature is something uh, like an object, like a landscape painting, that human has the capacity to exploit and retrieve uh, resources from. So this idea is extremely, uh, uh, I mean, embedded in the Western modernity, idea of Western modernity, the technological revolution and the colonization of the nature. But I'm trying to develop a different kind of thought process which is reciprocity and intersubjectivity. My main purpose in, in, in this project and many other projects is to develop the dialogue between humans and machines, not only humans and machines, but also nature and culture, and also global south and the global north, because often it's understood or from a Western perspective, global south is thought as something primitive and, and indigenous and uh, oral culture and the visual culture is far more powerful the western culture itself so many scholars have argued in this way so I, I am trying to kind of challenge and intervene as an artist to develop an idea of reciprocity between two worlds between two realms and uh, a dialogue and this dialogue is happening between in in case of dhoni project between ritualistic sounds and associated thoughts related to religion, uh, history, tradition, and AI and machine learning, which is um, a kind of technological uh, modernity's uh, kind of climactic moment. But what brings them together is the idea of generativeness. Generativeness is a uh, chance factor is there because humans are leaving the control out of their hand. There is a kind of alien agency, like Christopher Salter writes about alien agency. So this is the alien agency that happens within AI and machine learning. Humans don't have much control over what happens in a generative system, right? Machine is given an agency and that is alien, that is contingent, we don't know. There is a kind of mysticism and this mysticism, this alien agency, uh, is very related to the indigenous idea of, of Global South. If you go to the traditional tribal areas, they practice generative uh, sounds and music and their cultural practices are based on generative systems. So I, I think that there is a kind of merging of these two worlds in AI realm. And that's, that is what I would like to explore. Sorry. Just one quick follow-up, Neil, before that, just to understand correctly. Um, I think what you're saying is there's a kind of mysticism inherent in these indigenous cultures, something that's uh, mysterious that we cannot know. And yes, contingent and chance, uh, based on kind of chance factor and contingent to uh, situations and contexts. Sure. And then there's almost a, a black box aspect to AI where we put it in, but we cannot sure know what's going to occur. Are you saying that these kind of dovetail with each other? Is that what you're Yes, exactly. Wow. It's okay. my, my perspective. I think there, not much has been written about and not much has been even researched uh, in this line of thinking. But I kind of, uh, I'm trying to hinting at there's these two worlds are kind of close somehow yeah. 
because of this chance factor, the factor of contingency. Right. That's fascinating. It's, I think it's, it's actually phenomenal because there's a whole area in AI called generative design now where rather than, you know, do all these different things, you just give the machine parameters. Like if you wanted to build a car or a plane, you tell it things like, well, a plane needs enough thrust and lift, these other things. And then you say, I need a plane like with 200 people and it's going to be this fuel efficient and it's going to range. And the machine will figure out millions upon millions of possibilities. And they kind of reslot based on things. But one of the things that we've seen is that they, the AI will actually start manufacturing like materials we've never put together before, right? And trying to figure out some of these things. And it's locking these different opportunities. And I think that this has been kind of a fascinating thing. It's, you know, human engineers still have the final say, and they're looking at, you know, the five to 12 best options put forward. But the fact that we have machines essentially even crafting materials we've never seen before yeah. is fascinating. Yeah, unpredict- That sounds very much in the resonance you're talking yeah, unpredictability about. Unpredictability yeah. and indeterminate. This indeterminacy is something uh, should be underscored. This indeterminacy, which is termed as alien agency. Alien because we don't know uh, yet. How, how, did you, how did you wind up on this path? I mean, how did you see the... The synchronicity between, you know, the the art and AI, and you know the the dialogue for global north, global south, and you know nature and culture. I mean, what was kind of your epiphany or aha moment? <laughs> like, wow, you know. Um, uh, the idea of global south and global north, and the idea of confluence between them. Uh, was developing inside me when I moved to Europe. Slowly, slowly, I was getting exposed to the perspectives that are emergent and uh, which are already existing in the kind of European gaze on me as a person coming from global south. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, uh, my, I was kind of self-determining my position. I was trying to understand uh, what is my identity and what is the representation. Uh, that I, I pose uh, to the world, to my, uh, very immediately, my peers. And through this examination, I came into the idea of the, the global north and global south and the historical constituents of the construction of an identity, uh, Indian and uh, from the third world, from the global south. This kind of identifications were bothering me. So I was trying to understand that, am I only uh, a person from the global south or I'm a product of globalization? So if if I take globalization as a fundamental um, point of entry into this discourse, then uh, I need to find out the way in which historically global north and global south was uh, having a dialogue, having conversation within each other. And technologically, I was thinking, uh, I mean, technology, uh, the technological aspect of this conversation was something I was looking at primarily. Recording technology is one example. Well, I think that the search for identity is a big part of, of any effective art, and that makes absolute sense why you would feel that way and why you would turn to this form of expression um, to help you de- uh, deal with these issues. 
Um, and I think anyone can, can put yourself, put themselves in your shoes when you say it that way. Um, how has it been received? Um, both, uh, people from the global South and the global North, what, what has been the response to, to the art that you're creating? So far, uh, the few exhibitions I, I was having the machine learning induced Dhoni project and the next project I'm working on Planchet bot. Uh, they are generating a kind of interest in in the global scale, like different festivals. Dhoni has been invited to have an exhibition next year, two exhibitions already. So response is very, very interesting for me. Uh, and I'm also working on the, I already discussed uh, last time we talked about the Blanchard Bot project. Uh, next through three to five years, I'll be working on the project. It is using data sets of uh, historical figures because I always work with data sets, archival materials. My master's thesis was about how to uh, uh, reappropriate archival uh, sound recordings into new work of uh, sound installation and sound art and sound sculptures. And so data sets are something I'm very much interested in and my research is focused on historical data sets and how they can be uh, used and, uh, into different forms of new media artworks. So in Planchet Bot, I'm working with uh, data sets of historical figures, including their audio recordings, their own writings, writings on them, uh, video recording something whether they are available, and then using those data sets to create an aura of their persona, mm -hmm. and uh, that can be manifested in different forms such as chatbot, uh, also automated voice, and uh, I also plan to develop or which I, at this moment I am not equipped to do that, but I, in collaboration with uh, a few other scientists and AI specialists that I know, I'd like to develop finally a holographic image of the historical figures. And that those historical figures may include Gandhi. I'm at this point of working with Gandhi, um, developing a data set, so Gandhi writings, audio and video. Then Nelson Mandela, Abraham Lincoln, uh, Winston Churchill, because these figures are important uh, to go back or uh, brought back to the contemporary realm, contemporary world because of the crisis that we have. Mm -hmm. And perhaps their in intervention could be useful. Yeah, um, I mean, going back to what we were talking earlier about <clears throat> taking the old and, and marrying it with the new, Yeah, um, I think it's absolutely uh, fascinating, really cool that you are going back to individuals like Gandhi. How can, you, how can we use um, their messages, what they had to say? Uh, how can it be applied today in ways that perhaps they didn't, he didn't in initially intend for, but really speak to the times that we're going into right now? How can it be um, even more relevant to today? Um, perhaps we can ask them, because I'm thinking about setting up staging uh, performances, which is a staged conversation between one historical figure and me and the public. It's open for public, so anybody can ask questions. And those questions may range from contemporary crisis to 
the controversies around the figures themselves, such as uh, recently in South Africa, Gandhi's uh, figure was vandalized, a statue, a bust was vandalized, because it was thought that in his early uh, period, like in his younger age, he was a, his approach was a bit racist. So one may ask Gandhi, uh, why, uh, are, why are you seen as someone having a kind of inclination, racial inclination or racial prejudice? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you, when you grow up as a mature person, how do you see yourself distancing from your earlier comments and, and uh, positions? So this kind of uh, not only uh, create a dialogue between old and new, but also uh, re- revisit them in the contemporary context, mm-hmm. re- re- uh, rediscover them in the contemporary context. Mm-hmm. And uh, one may also ask questions like, how do you think about the migration crisis? So given that uh, Gandhi himself was an immigrant in South Africa, mm-hmm. maybe he's in, he, he will enlighten the problems that we have today. Mm-hmm. Like Mandela may have something extremely important to say, given the data sets of his own writing and given the contemporary context as also another data set, uh, may have something to say about race and uh, Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. for example. Yeah. I, I, could, I could see that with like Mandela, right? Yeah. Even though it's Black Lives Matter, Matter and racial justice is going on, it's a hot topic today, it's something you live through, but I were talking to Abraham Lincoln about social media, right? Yes. How, how would Abraham Lincoln be able to do that, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> of course. The, but, it, does that mean that there's certain topics that maybe they couldn't really talk to? Like if they don't have a background, there's not enough data out there, you couldn't invoke that kind of conversation. Yes, uh, of course. Uh, we cannot ask him about social media, but we can ask about the uh, uh, global village uh, idea or ideas about uh, early globalization, uh, migration. Migration was not just contemporary idea, but... Uh, it was also happening during his lifetime. Mm-hmm. Slavery. There, there are common problems that perpetuate, oh, okay. unfortunately, throughout history. Like you look at yeah. the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, things like hunger and poverty and education yes. have just been premier. Yeah, that, that's amazing. I can't wait to try that. Okay, are you going to tell me when it's ready? <laughs> yeah, it will take a couple of hour, years to develop everything because I'm also working on a book, so I cannot completely invest in this project, but it's like uh, on the back of my mind, and also when I get time, I work on it. I'm collaborating with a few other artists, uh, cool. AI specialists, um, people with Google. You know, when you, when you talk about these things here, uh, Neil and I, uh, Neil much more than me, have had the privilege to to even hear about things like what you're talking about. It, I think to the average person in the United States, this feels like something out of Neuromancer. It feels very science fiction-esque, and they're like, whoa, this is really possible. Um, so, well, you know, and I wonder in your own personal circle, I mean, maybe, maybe your acquaintances and colleagues and friends are, are, are up on this, but I, I can tell you that if I were to mention this at a party, uh, amongst my peers, they would just be like blown away that this is possible. <laughs> you know, it's possible. I've already developed a chatbot with Gandhi. So yeah. I mean, yeah. 
by the way, just what you just said there is like just saying that someone would be like, wait, what? Um, what has been the response amongst people? N- not maybe so much the people that, that are in, in this realm with you, but just a little bit outside of it because it seems so incredible. It almost feels like magic, really. Um, wh- what is the response that you're getting when you tell people about this amazing work you're doing? Uh, I don't know if it's amazing, but this project has already been, because I started this project this year, it's very new. Uh, I'm just uh, into it. And uh, I proposed this project for an, uh, because I want to develop uh, a Karl Marx as one of the chatbots. So I wanted to go to Russia and uh, do archival research to find materials about him. So I applied for uh, at ITMO. Uh, in St. Petersburg, and they accepted my tips proposal, and they invited me to go there when the uh, pandemic situation in, uh, gets better. So I'm. Uh, so response is that I'm um, breaking the breaking through the funding process slowly. So this is the first application I did this year for this project, and I got in. So I think uh, in future I'll also. Uh, get other supports because you need institutional support. You're going to do this always uh, alone, you know. So institutional context and support will give a lot of uh, energy into it. And there is a kind of motivation to make a presentation at the end of a residency, funded residency. So I'm going to St. Petersburg to do the research on Karl Marx and we'll develop a prototype for Karl Marx chat box, and if possible, and also an automated voice of Karl Marx. Wow, that'd be fascinating. That'd be awesome. I, mean, I, I can tell you that you're, you're taking this to a whole new level. I know we talked before that we, you know, the interview that the Shoah Foundation has their uh, institute that does with uh, genocide, and they're talking about right, you know, that the Holocaust victims have started yes. passing away. Hmm. And so about five, six years ago, they put together a list of like 2,000 questions, created a special dome with all these cameras around them, and basically spent weeks asking each of them all these questions. Mm-hmm. They turned them into holograms or video things, and they're using AI so that you can ha- have a conversation with them. You ask a question, and the AI will interpret that and pull up the right video clip to play. But you're yeah. taking this to a whole new level. Your plan should... Yeah. Um, I'm trying to uh, develop a kind of uncanny, you know, uncanny valley uh, where the fascinating similarity of voice, because I'm not using visual material very much. I'm more mainly focusing on the voice aspect. Also chatbot box uh, is the initial um, entry into this project, but uh, automated voice. Visual may come later when I more advance with the project in the, in the form of hologram, but in voice, this uncanny similarity, this uncanny valley idea that you can think this this is Gandhi, but this is this may not be Gandhi. So this very um, un, indeterminate uh, possibility around a figure uh, like a ghost, ghostly remnants of Gandhi. So th- this is. An, an exciting and fascinating and uh, I think in, in some way sensationalizing the, the figure uh, in the contemporary context. And that can be uh, also a bit subversive, you know? So this subversive aspect is also there. Actually, could you, could you explore that for a moment? What, what do you mean by that, the subversive aspect? 
subversive aspect as such uh, in the form like uh, if I think of developing a bot for Hitler oh. and, and then the kind of questions that may emerge and the response, they, they, they can get somehow uh, messy, you know? Yeah, my mind hadn't gone there, but you're you're absolutely right. I, I hadn't, it hadn't hit me that that could definitely be something that you could employ employ this with. I mean, given that, and we know that technology is a tool that could be used for good or for bad. I mean, what what advice would you give an artist today that's trying to explore these fields? I mean, what would you suggest to them? Particularly, if I focus on AI and machine learning. I think there is a general perception, particularly in uh, conservative societies like India and many parts of global south, uh, they have a kind of fear. And also in Europe, I, I can perceive that fear about AI systems, AI-induced systems. Not only the fear of being jobs to be dissolved and taken by AI, but also about this indeterminacy, which cannot be understood um, from a very human anthropogenic position. And the, I think artists uh, like me, uh, who are working with new media um, and technology, art, science, technology, their role could be crucial to create this intersubjectivity between humans and machines. There is a fantastic project last year I saw in Sao Paulo the conversation between a human and, and a robot. And it's a project only about, a, it's a video work where a human and a robot is trying to communicate. And the absurdity of this communication, which is falling apart, which is failing, but still the gestures that are generated in this conversation, something which I would like to explore further. How can uh, the idea of posthumanism uh, emerge through uh, keeping a base on the conversational aspect between humans and machines, the reciprocity between humans and machines. This is something I wanted to develop in Dhwani, and I have achieved a little bit of that uh, in Dhwani, because the system is in actually responding to human presence. Like if you uh, touch a little plant, the plant is you know, there are plants which re responds to human uh, advances, mm -hmm. which uh, goes uh, squeezed itself. So I'm thinking, or even in a garden, uh, if you touch a little plant and the entire network of plants are moving. So I'm thinking about the network, the network aspect of this maze maze between humans and machines because what happens to humans can affect the machines and what happens to machines can affect the humans so they are belonging to the same network and uh, it also coming from the Gaia theory uh, James Lovelock you, you may know James Lovelock right, his right. work on Gaia theory and he's uh, proposing that every object in this world are self-regulating art is a self-regulating system yes so if we think in this way, then there is no nature, there is no culture. We are part of the entire uh, self-regulating system. And as entities, if we think ourselves as separate entities, 
then we need to also think how those separate entities can can be part of a network and can have conversation between each other. Yeah, that, that's uh, I hadn't thought about that. That's that's very interesting. So, um, but I, when I hear you talking about you know um, replicating uh, Gandhi or Lincoln, it seems to me this is unprecedented in the history of our planet, where it could be a hundred years from now, assuming the humans are are still around, and they could be experiencing and interacting with these individuals. Uh, what might that look like uh, for future generations to? Uh, to interact with the work that you're creating now? Uh, it's, it's nothing new. Uh, there are uh, communities, like tribal communities, indigenous communities. Uh, I have uh, worked with them. I have lived there uh, in the tribal uh, places in India. And I have experienced that knowledge is derived from um, what is called the the gram panchayat, like the head of the village, mm. is not political head, but a wise person, a very old with beard. Sure. So whenever there is a crisis happening, everybody is going to him for knowledge, kind of getting wisdom, getting mm -hmm. suggestions. Uh, so I'm I'm thinking Gandhi, uh, Mandela. Uh, Churchill and figures like them, they are like grand old men of our societies. Mm -hmm. So their presence, perhaps bodily, materially, they are not present, but the kind of knowledge base they have created, we can go back now and then to this knowledge base for finding different perspectives to the crisis, the problems that we have today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, we're, we're essentially creating a AI-powered set of village elders. Yes, exactly. Village elders. <laughs> they are village elders. Yeah, that's exactly. a great way to put it. <laughs> well, Hapo, this has been absolutely fascinating. If people want to stay in touch with you, follow your work, learn more about what's going on, what's the best way for them to stay in touch with you? Um, I don't have a mailing list, but my website is buddhaditto.org. And I put everything up there, uh, documentation, news, and upcoming events. So anybody can visit the website from anywhere in the world. And I'm available always for a chat, a nice conversation, where I'm uh, online or offline or in person or remotely, or even in, in a planchet setting. Fantastic. Awesome. We'll make sure that puts it the show notes so everyone will have access to that. And with that, Pito, thank you so much for being a guest. It's been a fantastic conversation. Yes, thank you very thank much. Thank you very much. It's thank a you. pleasure. Hey, if you like today's show, please remember to hit the like button and leave a comment. If you've been enjoying the Changing the Story podcast series, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you. Thank you.